Oh, look at that. We're recording. What, what? <laughs> hey, all right, everybody. It's a podcast. Uh, here we go. Welcome to Dear Maddie Show, everybody. This is Matt Marr. I hope you're doing well this week. Uh, thank you for listening, as always. And on today's show, we have uh, Callie Williams. I feel like I should say doctor. You're not a doctor, though, are you? I'm definitely not a doctor, although I have played one on uh, the internet. <laughs> That's a good answer. Hello. Thank you for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Maddie. I'm super psyched to be here. Uh, well, and you're up in San Francisco, right? I am. Beautiful Bay Area. All right, everybody. So, and I'm trying a new, I always like your feedback, people. So I'm trying a, a new little thing called Zencaster. It's supposed to record podcasts really well. So, um, but I ask you because as always, y'all give me your opinion whether I want it or not. So <laughs> <laughs> let me know how this sounds, what you think, if I messed up the mic and then, yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, but Callie, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. How was your weekend? It was good, actually. I had a very quiet, uh, focused weekend, which is something I really needed in between a couple of weeks of conferences. So it was a, a very low-key weekend. Oh, good for you. Yeah, how about that. you? I um, So I last year, I was a founder and a director of a summer camp called Camp Brave Trails. It's a leadership camp for LGBT youth. And Amazing. It's pretty awesome, I have to yeah. say. Yeah. The camp, the kids are pretty awesome, and the counselors are um, – it really is – amazing and um but um because of like acting obligations and all that i wasn't able to be a director this year but i'm still highly involved and a volunteer and obviously a champion for them i try to be so um it was the the camp finished on saturday night so it was um uh, my boyfriend and i went up on thursday and kind of we did the whole camp thing and we were exhausted after three days so i can't even imagine the directors and counselors because last year we did it a week, and it was exhausting for a week. But this year they did it two weeks, and I'm just like, wow, <laughs> holy lo! I mean, we were we were wanting to see Ghostbusters on Sunday, but it didn't happen. So, um, but yeah, it it really is. It's awesome. I can't I can't tell you. I, but this isn't about me, Callie. It's about you. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so tell we just met recently in Chicago. Tell everybody how we met. Yeah, we met at um, the Podcast Movement Conference, which was... Hashtag Jared Easley. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was in Chicago, uh, deep, deep dish pizza, of course. And it was really interesting. I'm very new to the podcast world. I'm, I've been thinking about launching a podcast and so came to Podcast Movement to kind of just get a gander at how it all works and met a number of awesome people you included uh at podcast movement well you should do a podcast it's um and that's a really good way to do it i went to a convention before i started my podcast or no when i just started and it was good it was good because if you are listening to the show and you are interested people studying podcasts people always say to me like i want to start one but i feel like there's so many podcasts but I mean, there are, but at the same time, there's so many people in the world that are listening, millions yeah. and millions of people that are listening to podcasts. And I think the beauty of podcasts is, I mean, to pay, if you're wanting to make a podcast to make money, then that's not the reason to do a podcast because very few people make, you know, a really like real money. money yeah. 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 It helps supplements things and things like that. But, um, but if you really love it and you just, you want to open up a conversation about something that you think is interesting or educate, inspire, laugh, whatever, there's going to be somebody that's going to become your biggest fan and latch on to that. And I say that to you, Callie, I say that to anybody listening. It's just, yeah, yeah I think there's definitely an audience out there. So, um, 
Yeah. Ooh. Most definitely. Well, and that's one of the reasons it um, is attractive to me. I mean, I am, uh, I have a lot to say in the well, world. Tell everybody your background too. <laughs> yeah. We met at podcast movement and you kind of spoke up in a conference and I was like, she is fascinating. <laughs> and I went up to you like, and I barely even met you. I was like, I need you to be on my show. I know okay. it was super fast. And, um, and so I was in a class, uh, one of the workshops that, um, a woman named Jessica Rhodes did about being a good, um, interviewee for other people's podcasts and how to get on to other people's podcasts. And, um, and she was great, by the way. Can I say, I ended up, oh, yeah, I she love has her. a thing called a podcast called Roads to Success. And she also has a podcast about starting to po- a podcast. But I absolutely signed up for her service. She has that service that helped. That yeah, I, I look at it and actually am planning on it soon. So, well, I, I cannot mean, say like Jessica Rhodes and that team, they, they're the most professional people I've ever worked with. I mean, not ever. I mean, well, yes. They, she's um, dynamic, and she definitely she is, she is a woman who um, who is running a very tight business, which I res- totally respect as an entrepreneur. I've been a businesswoman uh, really since I launched my first <laughs> business when I was like mm, 11. Oh, my gosh. What was it? <laughs> I was selling lemons. And homemade salt packets to the other kids in my school who like to eat lemons as a snack. And I had a lemon tree outside my house. And so every morning I would make these little foil packets of salt and I would pick lemons and wash them. And that was the first step on a very long road of wanting to be my own boss, (laughs) which which then developed into a slightly more unorthodox (laughs) journey. <laughs> I mean, I want to say you made some lemonade, but you made like, you made something a lot stronger than lemonade. I I made adult lemonade. Most you definitely is what I made. I have. So tell everybody, yeah, you're kind of yeah. your background and, and kind of, um, yeah, because I mean, your job, you are, your therapist. Or well, no, I'm not a therapist. A I'm a coach. Right, exactly. Um, I, it's the same thing to me. They're so interchangeable. I mean, the, whatever, degree, well, degree. degree, right. Except I actually, I mean, I do know a lot of therapy, uh, therapists, and I, I'm really grateful that I haven't had to go through a lot of the schooling that they have, that I've taken more of what I call an in-the-trenches approach. So I am a coach and an entrepreneur and a speaker, and my focus is on helping women become empowered both in their internal experience of themselves and also the way that they express themselves to the world, so communication Mm -hmm. and body language. And I come to this from a career in adult education and coaching women through sexual confidence and sexual empowerment, not just women, but, but helping specifically help women has been a really big part of my mission kind of throughout Mm. my career. And then into this new, new phase of my career. Mm. Wow. I'm (laughs) that's most people are like, I'm a life coach or I'm, <laughs> or I'm a teacher and they just leave it at that. I, no, I'm just kind of 
yeah, just how did you, how, what was your path into this career? Yeah, it definitely was, uh, unconventional is, is my favorite word. It's a bit tongue in cheek, uh, because when I was in my early twenties, I discovered exotic dancing. And Mm. for me, it was a totally empowered experience. It was something that, um, that I felt was more empowering instead of less, you know, um, a lot Mm. of, people and particularly women don't always see how being naked in front of others and kind of putting yourself on display might be empowering. But in fact, I definitely found it that way. And then over the last 16 years that I've helped women from all different kind of interests and backgrounds also find a way to be empowered through their sexuality instead of shying away from it and feeling ashamed of it and instead to see it as a, a source of strength and sexiness and power. Well, that's, I love that. I, and also I, I feel like I want to ask, cause I feel like people would know, like, what do you think was, sorry, I'm going to get a little therapy to be, but I'm interested. What do you think was different in that? Because honestly, when we think about people that are exotic dancing, we're thinking that they're doing it you know, either just for the money or that, or they may start off with good intentions. And then you think of them kind of like going into like a, a not great life and people, you know, we just, yeah, whether there, it's there's some dangerous. Or being taken advantage of yeah. well, basically what we see in the movies. Yeah. Basically. Well, yes, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I bring that up because, you know, I did a show about sexual assault with one of my guests and a lot of, of my guests responded and said she described in the thing this is very different but she described her sexual assault and a lot of people in uh, came to me show and said oh thank you for letting her tell her story because i thought i didn't i thought my sexual assault was very unique because it when i was raped it didn't look like what was on csi yeah and so and so i love that you have a different perspective of that we do we think of you know like Oh, the, you know, the movie with people, uh, you know, you just think of like Jumbo's Clown Room here in L.A. and stuff like that. So what I'm interested in is, and I'm sure some people do kind of go a more, can go a more harmful route. But what was different about you? Like what was different about either your experience or something that you told yourself in your mind to make it such a positive thing? Sure. I mean, I, I think that media has a huge influence on how people perceive these um, types of jobs. And really, I mean, first and foremost, they're, they're jobs for a, for a lot of women. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, the way that women get into the adult industry is a huge influence and a huge factor, mm-hmm. right? But the the fact that there are some potentially dangerous environments or some slippery slopes certainly is not only true for the adult industry that could be true. Exactly. I mean, I've certainly, I've known and met lawyer lawyers who have developed insane drug addictions in order to maintain the lifestyle that That's they have chosen to pursue. My, right. My old, and day so there's job all was these... at a law, my old day jobs at a law office. And I know several attorneys that, that, yeah, I know exactly that it's like Wolf of wall street types. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's not it's not to mal, uh, malign lawyers. It's to say that you know a lot of people are attracted to dangerous choices for a variety of reasons, and exactly. stuff like movies and televisions have positioned you know strippers and um, you know and adult stars 
in that way because it makes for sensationalist media. But in fact, if you actually meet a lot of women who are uh, who are dancers or who like me, I developed uh, my career in uh, very shortly pursued professional domination where which as my mother likes to say it's like I got a promotion I got to keep my my clothes on <laughs> and <laughs> well I don't entirely think of it that way uh, because I really did enjoy uh, all of the steps along my my path mm-hmm. I would say that you know that if you meet women who who enjoy you know, maybe more fringe job choices. It's because it allows a lot of freedom because it mm-hmm. allows a lot of, um, you know, financial gain in a short period of time. But, but I, I also want to acknowledge the, the privilege that I do come to that industry with I'm middle-class and educated and made a choice to, to get into that industry. So, so I would say more than anything, I think it's important that people realize that like any job, that there are a lot mm. of motivations and perspectives and experiences. Mm. Well, I, I love it. I love that. And that's the reason, honestly, why I had you on the show is I love that because now you're, you're, I know you're starting um, to do a lot of you know, business coaching, entrepreneur coaching. And uh, I really am a big believer in well, actually, I'm not. This came from when I was in school. We studied this guy named. Um, I was just talking about him on another podcast. This guy named Schnarch. Uh, I know it's the worst last name ever, but I think that's he, an uh, awesome last name. <laughs> but he's a, one of the foremost, you know, marriage counselors. He wrote The Passionate Marriage, a great book about couples counseling. But he talks about a lot about what happens in the bedroom is symptomatic for what's happening in the relationship. And I would even take that further and say how you feel about yourself on even as an individual on like a sexually empowered level is definitely, I think, can be symptomatic of how you experience yourself out in the real world, whether that's feeling confident, oh, definitely. Feeling powerful, and feeling, you know, especially as a gay man, yeah, I remember what it was like when I would, you know, I would be with a guy and I wasn't out and then I'd feel terrible about it and I'd beat myself up about it and I'd think I was going to hell and all this kind of stuff and how that would play out in me not doing well in school and not wanting to to connect with people and be sociable and that a lot of that changed when I actually came out and accepted that part of myself. So I, I, That's I just amazing, think, yeah. I, bet I really think it's, honestly, I think that, you're just hitting on like the core of who we are to help people express their, their confidence. I, I, you know, that, that is a all too common journey, I think in terms of, um, I think because I, I, I was only a dancer for a fairly short period of time. And then I moved fairly quickly into the BDSM community because I was really mm-hmm. attracted to how, mm-hmm gender and taboo and um, kind of larger world concepts, frankly. I get very meta about sexuality. I I was very interested in how that stuff plays out in mm-hmm. the ways that we express ourselves. And so uh, became a dominatrix and then very quickly also started doing education and one-on-one coaching as well as um, mm-hmm. teaching workshops on a more regular basis. And what you're talking about in, in terms of the, the shame and the fear and the uncertainty is something that anybody that that strays outside of the kind of heterosexual normative missionary you know position sex 
is apt to feel. Which is not a, to me, not it's me mostly doing that. everybody. Not a me doing that. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> you know, and so kudos to you for taking that journey and for sharing that journey with other people because I do believe that that's how change gets made and how people, how we're all able to then hopefully let go of you know, bit by bit, the shame that's instilled in us around sexuality, which absolutely is such a core aspect of ourselves and cannot be escaped, even if your sexuality is asexuality. Exactly. You, you exactly. can't escape the fact that this is a, a natural part of being a human being. And so why not tap into those reserves? Because one mm -hmm. of the things that I noticed then very quickly moving into coaching women for sexual confidence was how often those same women would come and say, so I've been working with you on my sexual confidence for a few weeks, for a few months. And yesterday I went in and asked for a raise and it was so much easier than I ever expected. Ah. And, and so for me, for a very long time, there was a, a very direct relationship between confidence in the bedroom and confidence outside of the bedroom. And so I've been talking about that within the sexuality community for a very long time, but I'm now trying to move that message to a broader uh, base of people, including your awesome audience. All three of them. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love them. I love them. I love them. So what is like, you know, so like I'm, I'm interested in like so much Callie, so much. And we still have to answer questions, but, I, but you know what, um, for somebody getting into, a, the, you know, talking a little bit about dominatrix, and obviously, I know when we're listeners are probably thinking of like all leather and whips and all that kind of stuff, and that's what you're talking about, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, so like, although I used to wear a lot of uh, pink ball gowns and satin, uh, cotton sundresses. Also, I, I broke a lot of stereotypes when it when it came to what a dominatrix should look like. Uh, I'm blonde haired. I smile a lot. Uh, you know, I don't look grumpy, um, <laughs> which is <laughs> such an assumption. You don't have black eyeliner and red lips. Well, what am so like in co in coaching people? Like, what are what are some like a couple of things that you think of that specifically? you have done as a dominatrix that really translates into building confidence for people role-playing oh my god role-playing oh really yes so i teach a whole workshop on role-playing and uh -huh. there of course is the arg i'm a pirate and you're my booty wench version of role-playing which i also think is super fun i'm a big oh, fan of props I love I'm going to do that. You can pl I'll tell my boyfriend, you can plunder my booty. There you go. Right. There's so much there. I, I, I have loved pirates since my Pirates youth. are really gay too. They are they really are so gay. gay. I mean, in an awesome way. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so, but, but the other aspect of role playing that I have spoken about a lot in my sexual confidence class, uh, classes are not just the, a character, but characteristics. And so rather than role playing a cowboy or a school teacher or whatever, you role play a characteristic that you either have and would like to amplify or you role play a characteristic that you don't traditionally or you, you haven't always associated with yourself because we all have ideas about who we are, both that have come from inside of us and the things that we're told about ourselves, you know for most of our lives. And so we all have this picture of ourselves. And I find that when we role play various aspects, um, 
more more kind of emotional aspects or or say a certain kind of confidence or like for example i mm -hmm. i don't identify as a particularly confrontational person mm -hmm. but but frankly most people who have met me would probably be surprised to hear that because because i have through role play throughout my life taught myself to speak up about things that are deeply important to me uh -huh. so i role play someone who is fine with confrontation in order to allow myself the freedom to speak up in a way that I may not otherwise identify as something that I quote unquote would do. So like you're saying, so instead of somebody role playing, you know, like, um, you know, a principal and a schoolgirl, somebody you would actually have them role play like confrontation. Well, not so much confrontation, although that definitely can be part of it. I'm also a big fan of practicing language. Um, and so one thing that I found particularly for women is that we are we tend to be very socialized towards soft language. Right. So if you're making yes. a suggestion at work, uh, women who struggle with soft language might say something like, I was thinking that maybe this is something we could consider before sharing her thoughts, right? And so what I would then have uh, my coaching client do if that was something she struggled with, I would have her role play someone who speaks decisively. And I have her do that in low pressure situations, like when Ooh, she's getting I'm sorry, I love that. Not to interrupt <laughs> no. you, but I love that. Sorry, keep going. That's okay. It's one of my biggest and most helpful things, I think, because so then I have her role play in low pressure situations. So let's say when she gets her coffee. And this is not about going from soft to rude. It's about going from soft to decisive. And so like I have a friend who really struggles with soft language. And even when she orders her coffee, sh she'll say something like, I'll have a coffee with cream if that's okay. So if that's okay is the soft language we want to purge. And so I have her practice and that when she goes to order her coffee, she'll say, I'll have a coffee with cream. Thank you. And it's a super small shift, but it is astounding how that can change not only the way that you feel about communicating with other people, but about how you're perceived. So you're role playing somebody who's decisive without actually having to be someone who's decisive. Mm, Callie, I feel like you're my spirit animal. <laughs> oh. because. No, because I'm I'm the type of therapist I'm I'm a narrative therapist. So we believe that the language that we use def defines our experience. Yes. And we also use a lot of it were very similar actually in that we use a lot of e externalization exercises where we have people um, let's say they're they're anxious. We have them write a letter to anxiety, or we have an even thing where we talk about these characters being having relationships in their life. And sometimes, if their life is a story metaphor, then let's say they're depressed. Well, and then I would talk to a client and say, "Well, when is depression writing a chapter of your story? Mm -hmm. And what kind of story would you want to write?" And and then using not just a negative, but using those positive things like, "Okay, we want." We want instead of being a negative confrontation or decisive is a character that we want in our life. So if you wrote a chapter of your if you were writing this yeah. chapter of your 
problem how would decisiveness write this chapter for you yeah it's very similar i love it i feel like we girl we need to have a drink i totally agree (laughs) next time i'm in la we're gonna make that happen i'm san francisco i love that well and i saved one good question actually i had this i've been saving this for a guest and then when i found you i was like this question's perfect because it is later on we're talking we are talking about a little bit stuff in the bedroom and also gender um but i tell people we'll talk about this in the show but tell people real quick where they can find you before we get to some questions sure my main website is callie williams k-a-l-i-w-i-l-l-i-a-m-s.com uh and so that's a good spot to find all the different things i do because i do do a lot awesome Awesome, awesome, awesome. Ooh, I, ooh, girl. Okay, what do we we're got? Having, we having you on again. I'm excited Yay! about this. Okay. Um, all right. This is first question is, um, we only have two today, so, but they're kind of long. So here we go. Okay. This is from okay. Jesse, age 45. Is this a woman or a man? Uh, it's a woman. Okay. Uh, Jesse says, Dear Maddie, I've been best friends with my friend, we will call Carol, since I was in the seventh grade. Seriously, she's like my family. Carol has a 17-year-old daughter and a 14-year-old daughter, and for the most part, I think she's a really good mom. But there are a few things I take issue with. One, she is always putting pressure on her daughter to use college as a way to meet a husband. It drives me crazy. She actually told her there is nothing wrong with the MRS degree. Or for some of you that aren't listening, that's Mrs. Uh, uh, An MRS degree. Which is crazy to me since my friend is a single mom. Number two, the problem she has. She treats her kids differently. The younger daughter she literally calls the smart one. She never said her older daughter's dumb, but the life she has planned for the younger kid is way different than her older one. I want to say something so, so, so bad, but I feel like since I'm the friend who has no kids and never wants them, I have no reason to speak. And also, I don't want this to affect our friendship. Should I go behind her back and talk to the girls? They call me Aunt Jessie, and I'm really close with the older daughter. Help me before I go crazy and then pop my mouth off to my girlfriend <laughs> in the middle of margarita wednesday oh, oh. <laughs> now margarita Ooh, jess talk about speaking up for yourself yeah. and from a, especially from a feminine perspective and again i love that jesse's talking about because i do think that some um i mean i want to hear from you first but i do want to i want to just appreciate jesse for writing in because i think a lot of women feel yes. like too they can't contribute to a conversation about child rearing yes. if they don't have children which i disagree with yeah but um me anyway, too, actually. What do you think when you hear this question? I can relate a lot, actually, to Jesse. <laughs> I personally am hashtag team no baby. Good I, for you. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, it's it's just simply the right choice for me. I've known since I was really young that I didn't want kids. I'm super excited because my younger sister is going to start um, popping them out soon, and I'm going to make the most badass aunt. But oh, do that. Yeah, yes. it's you Fuck know, yes, for me, it's best. great. I mean. Somebody's got to procreate. So yay for that, but whatever. So, so, and then the other thing I can relate to is, holy God, do I always have an opinion? And so, (laughs) and, and I'll, I will preface this by saying that I am 100% known amongst my family and friends as the one who does not keep her mouth shut. And so that, that colors the advice that I will give. So my initial instinct is to say that particularly if you are close to these girls and if you feel that they are potentially both emotionally and that their future is possibly being limited by probably the unintentional uh, 
ways that that their mom is talking and treating them. Um, you know, moms don't want to hurt their kids. You know, parents don't want to hurt their kids. But we all carry baggage for, for crying out loud. We all carry yeah. baggage. And so I think that on I I think that if Jesse maybe reframes her desire to help, like reframes it from a desire for her to be like nosy or to, or to stick her, you know, nose where she, it doesn't belong supposedly mm-hmm. um, shift that, that context into really feeling protective over these girls mm. and of wanting to help the mom maybe see behaviors that she can't see. Right. I, because I, I personally come from the philosophy that if our closest friends and family can't tell us when we're screwing up, then who can really? One million percent. I agree with that. I, yeah. Right. Exactly. But, but the way that it's done is, is the critical part. Now, again, I yeah. admit that I screw this up because I get really emotional and it's, it's hard sometimes to scale back the intensity mm-hmm. of our emotions, but Insofar as Jesse can to try to, you know, try to sit her friend down, Carol, and in a time when they've got they've got time, they're not going to be like time crunched. Um, if they're wine drinkers, maybe a glass of wine. Please, girl, don't get drunk. That will not help. No, anything. Don't don't do that. Don't get, don't drunk, get drunk. Right. Start off. Um, I'm a firm believer of the compliment sandwich. I have found yeah. it to be the most effective way to give difficult feedback. And by that you start off with something great. Oh my God, Carol, I just have so much respect for you as a single mother. It takes so much to raise these girls and I know you love them and you want the best for them. One of the things I learned from a really awesome woman uh, called Janine Driver, she wrote a few books, but one of them is called um, You Can't Lie to Me. And one of the things I took a training with her that she talks about is ascribing the traits that you want other people to have. And so instead of going into this conversation with Carol and saying, you treat your daughters poorly, you are not being supportive. Instead, you say, I know that you love your girls and you want the best for both of them. And I care so much about you and these girls that I just wanted to bring up something that I thought maybe um, could use some awareness, right? Like stay away from attacking language, stay away from you and negative, negative things, right? So you start off by saying something nice. You follow that up by, by commenting on the behavior that you hope Mm -hmm. to change. And then you follow it up again by saying, you know, I know that this might be kind of hard. And this is of course to say that if you can get it all out in one, swoop or not is is not necessarily the goal but that this is kind of the rhythm that you're looking for so that's that's my advice is to have the conversation but to be aware to try to set the conversation up for success i done let's move on no i'm kidding (laughs) but no seriously i think i think that's really great i think you know if um yeah i think that i think first of all jesse i feel like um and I mentioned it earlier, but I do feel like what you're coming in this with is not because – think of it this way, and hopefully you're thinking this way, Jesse. It's not that you know better, but that, that you care about these girls right. as well. 
Yeah. And I think that's a very, and keep that intention whenever you're talking to your friend Carol, because if you are talking to like, if you are speaking of, I do know better and you're fucking up right. and they probably are going to, they very get well defensive. could get defensive, but I do agree with what you said in that, you know, one of my, um, other really good friends, my friend Don McCoy, also a podcaster, actually, she's, um, uh, one of the, she's like that type of friend. We call it truth talk, hashtag truth talk. Yeah. And we can say that to each other and we know that there's this undercurrent of love and so hopefully jesse um you and your friend have that type of friendship and it sounds like you do that um because i agree with you jesse i think that there is you know one thing i know from working with youth a lot is children and this is for any of you that are parents out there um if you're not already doing this please take this to heart because i know i'm not a parent but you know i am i know a little bit about therapy stuff but youth children they rise to the expectations that either mentors or adults or parents set for them they really do so if it is so it does bother me a little bit um it or concerns me honestly jesse when you say that she's treating kids differently i think that um that and a lot of i think parents do that because their kids are different but that a lot of times they do single out they don't even mean to but again going back to language it's just simple phrases of like saying you know, oh, you know, oh, Tommy, he's such a good kid. And, oh, Rachel, she tries. She tries hard. You know, yes. and those simple little phrases we don't think kids, but kids are listening to the undercurrent. I think a lot of parents think, oh, well, they don't know that I really think, you know, that, you know, this other kid's going to be more of a problem. But they do. Yeah. And so it really is important, Jesse, I think, you know, for your friend, hopefully, to realize that. Yeah, probably. I wouldn't be surprised if her older, older daughter probably does, doesn't does do as well on tests and things like that if this is what she's lived with. It's not anything about her intelligence, but if you tell your kid, oh, you're going to be lucky to get out of college, then that's what they're going to believe. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And For the most and part, And it does yeah. come in. Right. There are some people that, that overcome those things, obviously, but, but if – but why why have to overcome those things when there are so many other things in the world to overcome when hopefully, you know, her mom just needs a little bit more awareness about it. Or not her mom, uh, Carol. Yeah, Carol. Yeah, I think. yeah and exactly. And, uh, you know, and I think, so I say start, I, I don't think it would be the best situation to necessarily go behind the girls and talk to her. But so I would say talk to your friend first. Yeah. And, and but then depending on that goes, you know, you could always, I think a lot of times, again, this is very, I don't know if you're into musical theater, Callie. But oh, yes. It reminds, me, it reminds me of Stephen Sondheim's, um, careful the things you say, children will listen, which is, sorry, musical theater. Okay, oh, 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 my God. I was a total thespian in high school. Oh, okay. I'm telling girl, we need a <laughs> I know like all my listeners just went musical theater because they love it. Yes. Uh, Jackie Wiseman just freaked out and she'll probably text me and ask me if I listened to Hamilton yet. I have not. I have but, not um, either. Uh, I suddenly uh, feel I gotta a get on the Hamilton back I know. I'm a bandwagon. But, yeah. um, but it is so, you know, Jesse, like maybe, so talk to your friend. Hopefully it goes well. If it doesn't, you know, just the fact of like the example of, if you are a mentor and a presence in these girls' life, the example of you um, and your story can be motivating to them as well. You know, if you do talk to the girl, you know, you could say like, hey, you could ask her questions like what are her expectations of college and just ask her what she wants for college and what, and you could share that with your own experience of, you know, and you could even say, and even I've done this a little bit, like sometimes with youth, it's 
it is, I guess it is a little bit of a lie, but you kind of, they a lot of times need to hear that you or someone else went through something for oh, them yes. to get a relation to it. So I, you know, maybe say like, you know, when I started school, I had a lot of friends that thought it was important to um, go to school to get a husband or to get a wife. And that's just, you know, for me, that wasn't as important. I was really interested in this and that. What kind of things are you interested in? So then you're not really saying Hey, exactly. don't listen to your mom. You're not even bringing the mom into the conversation. Um, we're sneaky like that, Jesse. I don't know if that helps a lot. But hopefully you can talk to your friend, though, because it sounds like that could be a really great conversation for two friends. Yeah. So, awesome. well, Jesse, boom, there you go. Good luck, Jesse. Yeah, good luck, sugar. Bless, oh, bless her heart. All right, now this next, this is one I say for you because... I love this question. Again, it goes back to, I just, again, talk about gender and um, everything. Uh, but still, I'll, well, everybody's like, what, Maddie? What are you talking about? <laughs> Let me read the question. Okay. This is from Casey, age 28. And Casey says, um, again, she, um, my boyfriend really likes it when I finger his butt and when I, when I give him head. I like doing it too. Here's a problem. My boyfriend never wants to admit he likes it. Anytime I bring it up, he says, oh, it's okay. I just know you like it. Or he'll say, <laughs> eh. Maddie, he says this, but literally as soon as I go to Fingertown, he is moaning like crazy and has the most intense orgasm. I love Fingertown. I want to I want to live in Fingertown. <laughs> uh, anyway, she says, literally, he goes crazy. Well, last week I brought it up and he said, don't talk about it. And I told him, I don't think he's gay or anything. And then I think it's totally okay. <laughs> He got all, I know, yeah, I was like, oh, I was Lord. Say that could uh, not have ended well. <laughs> yeah, the wrong way to say it. Um, and then she, uh, Casey says, he got all pissed and said, I don't think he's a man, and now he won't even let me get my hands back down Aww. there. I really don't think he's gay, Maddie, but I touched on a nerve or something. Is he gay and I'm just dumb, or is he just being a dumb, quote, bro? Uh, for your info, he is a big football type guy and sports crazy. Thanks, Casey, age 28. Oh, Casey. I I am excited what you have to say, because I bet you've <sighs> probably heard this story verbatim. Oh, my God. So many times and uh, in various ways, but it all comes from the same place. And that is toxic masculinity. Ooh. <sighs> hashtag toxic masculinity. I love that. Yeah. So sadly, I think she might have um, really made the wrong choice in words if she if she literally said I don't think you're gay or anything and it's a highly likely she did because that's a totally natural thing to say but sadly what it brings up is the kind of toxic masculinity that most men are saturated in and particularly if he's a big guy in sports and jock then he would have very likely gotten an extra dose of the kind of expectations that a certain kind of person puts on men, especially a certain kind of man, a strong, big man, yeah. particularly, yep, yep, yep. right? Mm -hmm. And and again, it comes back to this thing that we were talking about earlier about the sort of shame that almost everyone has on some level or another because we are just simply not taught about sex in any sort of open way, at least not in America. If you, you know, uh, Europe definitely has, has a leg up on that. But in, in the United States, in most areas, we are not taught about sexuality. We certainly are not talk, talked about sexuality from a pleasure standpoint. 
And so for a guy who really identifies with being masculine and with being a man is understandably, although definitely regrettably, probably touchy about liking things up his butt because the things up your butt equal a desire for gay sex bullshit Mm -hmm. trope is alive and sadly well, particularly in uh, sports types environments for men. Yeah. You know? Yeah, very much so. So I would say, again, this is where language can um, come into play. You know, I think that she mentions the fact that he says, I know you like it. And this right here basically describes why many men go to see a dominatrix. Now, most dominatrixes, myself included, did not Mm -hmm. do what would be considered sexual touch. Like I personally didn't do anal play. I did stuff like turning men into puppies and making them like fetch bones around the dungeon and, (laughs) um, you know, making them crawl and beg to be less than. But here's the thing. It comes back to if you want anything other than traditional you know, missionary, heterosexual, missionary sex, sex, hashtag snooze fest, amen, (laughs) then, then there is going to be likely to be baggage around it. If you grew up in any sort of a traditional household, right? So, well, we're also, I mean, we're living in a country that politics aside, but still it does like still drive me crazy that like on this, not that I don't dislike all Republicans, Obviously, I'm a pretty liberal person, but like it, it blew me away that like on their in our country in 2016, they still talked about how porn is a pervasive problem in our country, yet that nothing about gun control. I know. So, and I just say that not to slant just towards Republicans, but I just say that there's a huge problem with like, again, just any type of celebration of sexuality in our culture in America or United yeah. States. Yeah. Liberals haven't gotten on the porn train either. I mean, I'm liberal, exactly. obviously, yes, but exactly. you know, the, there's so much conversation that needs to happen around pornography and around how pornography is used both as an inappropriate educational tool, because it's not education, it's entertainment. It's um, I have a lot of sex ed friends that that use the phrase, you know, would you learn uh, how to drive from too fast, too furious? Of course not. Then you don't learn how to have sex from porn. You watch it because it's exciting and dramatic oh, and totally unrealistic. Yeah, that's great. So I think it's one of the best. And so, yeah, because let's be honest, the first time the the first time I had gay sex, it was not like I saw in the film. Lord Jesus, ouchie. Well, that's all I gotta is say. Meant to be. <laughs> Porn is like all entertainment. It is meant to be bigger and more dramatic and more theatrical. And of course that can be, that's fun to watch, but exactly when you try to implement that, it is, it ends up being dangerous. I did, um, one of my first mainstream presentations I did was at South by Southwest, um, about the 50 shades phenomenon. Uh-huh. And I, I used to say the same thing about Fifty Shades, too, is that, you know, people were, were using Fifty Shades as some kind of an educational tool. Mm-hmm. When would you do that with 
a Harlequin novel. Like if there was a Harlequin novel about pirates, since you are a pirate fan as well, uh, if there was a Harlequin novel about pirates, would you like buy a boat and push off and then get out in the middle of the ocean and realize you don't know how to use your sails and you don't know how to drop anchor and you don't know how to do all of these things. So, so, so this is a bit of a bit of a rambling, uh, I guess, response. No, not at all. But, not at all. Keep going. But it, but it all comes back to this idea that a, what we are taught about what is right and wrong about sexuality, even if we intellectually understand it's bullshit, that stuff goes deep. It is so hard to break ourselves of the quote unquote rules that we learn about sexuality in our youth. Right. So that's kind of the, the, the big obstacle that we're, that we're coming up against in a lot of sexualities, but definitely in this particular struggle that Casey's having with her boyfriend, where she's saying, Hey, it's not a big deal. You want my finger in your butt. But he's getting really caught up on language, on what it might mean, even though it doesn't mean anything except that it feels good to have a finger in your butt. Like, there's all of this extra layers of meaning that he's ascribing it. And so mm-hmm. while, you know, the, the, the idea that he's, like, letting her do it because she gets so much pleasure out of it. I'm, I'm personally a fan of using those kinds of mental tap dances to allow both ourselves and our partners to find the pleasure that they enjoy. Right. And so like, I totally get that she wants to talk with him about it and because sex, we need to talk about our desires and about our Mm -hmm. pleasures and, and those kinds of things. But maybe to kind of ease the situation a little bit, she, if she feels, Casey, I, I, speaking to you directly now, girl, Casey, if you feel comfortable with it, just keep putting your finger up his butt and let him have the pleasure. And then when it feels like maybe that the, the kind of intensity of his response has quieted down a bit, Try a different approach and do not use the word gay or homosexual. It, not because those. Yeah, yeah. Not right, because it's not wrong because it's wrong it, because or it's any triggering. of those things, but simply because he's getting caught on the language, and language yeah. should never stop us from pursuing the pleasure that we that that we deserve to have in our lives. Exactly, because you know Casey's saying gay. Yeah. I don't think you're gay, but what actually he's hearing. Uh, Casey is I don't think you're a man exactly that's probably exactly what he's hearing and so it's not that he's gay I mean or that maybe it's not he, okay to say yeah, to say that we're he, gay that's not it it's that it's that if he he's is going to struggle and he's failing uh, yeah. thinks he's failing to you yeah but yeah I, I love that you know Casey maybe even if he still too doesn't want you to go down there maybe even say to him like say hey um, you don't have to talk about it, but just say, you know, you could just be like, baby, I, I miss doing this. I, I, please, I love it. I mean, really put it like you were saying, like from her perspective of really it's her pleasure that she gets from it. And then, 
let him relax into it more. I love that idea. Yeah. Because again, like, so it's a, it's a common statement that like rape fantasies are the number one woman fantasy. And I personally think that that is also the wrong way language. Ravishment is the most popular female fantasy. And that's because women are socialized to feel guilty Mm. for being sexual. And so it's that it's the same sort of thing where, Uh, Many women desire being overpowered because they want to be desired so much that they don't have to worry about the kind of cultural guilt that women that are laid on women. And the opposite of that is what's happening, I think, with your boyfriend, Casey, is that he's Mm -hmm. experiencing this thing that like so many men love thinkers up their butts because butts are full of pleasure centers like that. It doesn't matter if you think that that's right or wrong. Like it's just a physical. Fact. No, no girl. It's right. And so, so while we use these kind of these, these mental workarounds, it's not about being shady or, you know, or, or, I don't know, or anything weird. It's entirely about allowing the person that we care about to find their pleasure. Exactly. And that's it. Yeah. 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 I think that's a great way to go. And then when you feel like he's calmed down, Casey, write us back. Yeah. And we'll tell you what to say because (laughs) if you want to have a talk about that, or I don't know, maybe there's like a one nine, there could be a documentary or something they could watch. I don't know. I mean, it's in, you know, I'll never forget when I was running a, I used to run a senior men's group, like a, for gay men when I was doing my intern hours uh, for therapist stuff. But um, I'll never forget one time, like one of the men said, uh, we're so lucky that we're gay. And somebody said, why? And he said, because straight men don't get to kind of have these true, yeah. like deep friendships that we get to have. And it really made me think of like, less, I, yes, I know straight men are, are in a lot of ways the top of the food chain, but they're also still a victim of that heteronormative oh, narrative yes. that they can't express themselves the same. They it's or it's harder for them to break out of these type of molds that they're honestly imprisoned by. Oh, absolutely. Misogyny damages men as well as women. Abs- absolutely. Um, and also I, I wanted to share a couple of resources that I think uh, you might enjoy, Casey. The first is um, a book by Charlie Glickman. G-L-I-C-K-M-A-N. Charlie Glickman. And I'll, I'll put these in the show notes, y'all. Oh, yeah, great. And he recently wrote a book. He's a um, longtime colleague of mine that I respect so much. He wrote an amazing book about anal pleasure for men. And he talks a lot oh. about the kind of obstacles that your boyfriend is struggling with, Casey. So, um, so check out Charlie Glickman because he's amazing. And I also want to give a little unabashed plug to one of my businesses, um, uh, kinkacademy.com and passionateyou.com. These are two websites that I launched about 10 years ago. They've been up um, uh, for about that long and have over 130 educators on Kink Academy, um, nearly that many on Passionate You. And what they what the sites are, are videos, like short bite-sized videos where you can learn sexuality and relationship skills. Oh, I love that. There, I completely immodestly say that they are totally badass. These websites are an incredible source of information and it's like 20 bucks for a month's access. So it's. Oh, I love that too. Also, too, because this is sometimes people 
or they're inhibited to go out and seek. So they could seek this in the privacy of their own home. Exactly. And you can watch five minutes and learn something fun and new or learn how to talk about something. Or you can watch a few more of them in a row and get a bit more of a comprehensive um, skill like blowjobs or spanking or anal sex or any kinds of fun, super, super long list of fun stuff. So, so so Kink Love Academy that. and Passionate You and Charlie Glickman, Casey, check them out. Cause I think you could, um, this is an obstacle that I'm sure quite frankly, a lot of your audience has come up against or something similar in the, in the bedroom. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I love that. I love that. Love that. Love that. Um, Oh, I'm going to totally refer that. And then I don't think I have many under 18, but is this a, what did you recommend people being 18 and over? Or can Definitely. Yep. No, this, okay, um, I, sure. but if you are under 18, Scarletine, uh, I can't think of how to say Scarletine, I think. Um, but we'll, we'll make sure that the link is included, but they do great 18 and under sex education. They are an absolutely oh, cool. astounding website that has a huge variety of information and they're totally free for under eight, under 18. Oh, that's good to know too, because in my, I'm from Oklahoma and in my, my sister-in-law is a nurse and she talks about, um, and they're they're very religious. They love Jesus and go to church. But she's also a nurse, and she works in sexual health. And there in Oklahoma, it's one of those states where they the sex education is brought through the Why Wait program, which is all talked about why they teach children why they should wait. The best is to wait before until they're married. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they literally. I mean, I don't love that opinion, but what it really grosses me out about it is that they literally tell people things. They give kids facts and tell them people that wait until they're married to have sex actually make have better jobs and make more money. Oh, my literally. gracious like, sake. Just full on lies. I'm just like. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I'm gonna, that's I'm a whole other podcast. And everybody <laughs> to go to Scar. Well, my nephews are lucky to have my sister in law, but. Um, Still, the Scarlet Teen. Okay, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Um, ooh, Callie Williams, you are bringing it on this show. I love it. I love <laughs> it. I so love, much it. Fun. love it. I, I totally had a feeling, Maddie, that you and I yeah, would get along swimmingly. We are sisters. So, <laughs> um, so any, so okay. Now it's time for celebrity shit the bed. Okay. So anything that's like been in your mind, in your heart, in your brain, been in your butt. I don't know. Whatever you want to talk about. Um, what what's in your mind this week? Well, so I have to admit that it has been really impossible to avoid Pokemon Go. Oh, I'm so glad you brought this because I don't fully understand it. Tell me, are you into it? No, not at all. I, um, I'm not, I wasn't into, I like, you know, I'm a bit too old for the Pokemon craze. Like my kid sister was into Pokemon when she was a kid, but I, I didn't Mm -hmm. get it then. And I, I definitely don't get it now. But Mm -hmm. the thing that I, I had a bit of an epiphany about Pokemon Go a day or two ago this weekend when my Twitter feed, Facebook feed, all of that nonsense was being just flooded and have definitely felt some irritation at the uh, the flooding of references and photos and yada, yada, yada. But my epiphany was this, is that it actually reminds me a lot of Fifty Shades. Really? Yes. And here is what it reminds me of. So Fifty Shades itself is a crappy, horribly written... Un, completely unresearched 
piece of crap. Did I mention I bet that it's crap? I've heard that from other people as well. Yeah. I've, not, I've read I've, all yeah. three three times in order to do that presentation. And it was one of the more challenging things I've done in my <laughs> full of challenges life. And so, um, but here was the thing that I, that I came to understand about Fifty Shades that I also now am seeing about Pokemon Go. And that is the benefits can drastically outweigh the uselessness of the thing itself. And Oh yeah. And so because here's the thing, before 50 shades, like I have an article about living in a post 50 shades world because mm-hmm. before 50 shades when I shared my career path with someone, often even if they had been thoroughly enjoying a conversation with me, even if they seemed to think I was an intelligent and engaging individual, the moment that I heard that they heard that I was a dominatrix, they would like back away slowly. <laughs> and be, and it was because of ignorance, because they didn't know what that meant and, um, and all of that. And so, and so then 50 shades came out. And even though it is, a piss poor example of kink. It really doesn't have practically any kink in it. It started conversations about kinky sexuality and kinky explorations in a way that nothing had ever done before. That's true. It brought into like the vernacular of speech for for conversation. I mean, yes. And the freedom that many women particularly were feeling around being sexual creatures and being horny and wanting to read this like sexy stuff was came out in the mainstream conversation and it allowed people to discuss kink to rekindle their sex lives i mean all of that stuff about sex toy you know, um, mm-hmm. sales skyrocketing, all of that stuff means for more likely healthier, happier sexual relationships for people, right? So, this crappy, yeah. shitty book creates <laughs> this environment where people get to feel sexually connected and sexually expressive. So, now flash forward to Pokemon Go, this, this, this thing, this video game. Yeah, time killing game. Time killing game, right? And the number of posts and tweets that I've seen just from my friends and circles about how they're more active than they have been in years, how they're interacting with people. I saw, I mean, who knows if it's true, but I saw a post on Facebook about um, a, a kid with autism interacting with people in a way that he hadn't before. Oh, yeah. Um, I saw an article about uh, people with agoraphobia. Yes. Which is being in crowds. Yes. Are getting out of the house for the first time. And I, I thought I, that's when my perception, what exactly shift what you were saying, because I was like, that's a dumb thing. And I went, you know. It's not that dumb. Yeah. 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 It can't be that dumb if it is causing actual human connections. Right. I mean, you know, which which most recent app has caused that level of human connection? I mean, other than maybe Tinder and Grindr. And that's a whole different kind of connection. That's a whole different thing. But yeah, it also like I have one friend who um, uh, uh, actually a life coaching client that I have talked about how. Um, he posted on his Facebook or something that, but that he was really into video games. And then 
he was never worked out or did anything physical. And then he became obsessed with the basketball game. And then he wanted to play basketball. And that led to him like learning to really take care of his body yeah. and be physically fit, all from a video game. I'm like, yeah. can I get that from a video game? Yeah. Jesus. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so that's when I kind of came, you know, to the realization that that it doesn't, I mean, you know, I, I realized before that the other people can enjoy something even if I don't enjoy it. But I but I could suddenly see that it really went beyond kind of a, a stupid time wasting video game like Candy Crush. Right. I mean, how much how many hours were wasted on Candy Crush for people? I was never I'm, I don't play Candy Crush, but how many people play yeah. hours and hours? So many. Candy Crush does not get you off your ass and out into the world. And so. So I'm now I'm a I'm a convert. I still have no desire to play the play Pokemon Go. You know what? I just realized that I have two neighbors that I don't really see a lot, and one of them is kind of hidden. And actually, I saw them walking on the street, and they made a joke about Pokemon, and we ended up having a ten minute conversation that we probably never would have had. So look at that. There you go. I saw look another thing. I saw that um, some pet shelters are are. Uh, like Pokemon Go players are taking pet dogs for walks since they're going oh, yeah. on dogs anyways. I, I mean, it's just that. like in in this day and age when there is so much violence and tragedy and heartache for for a stupid video game to, to have that kind of profound impact is actually kind of amazing. Yeah, I think we needed it. I think we needed it you just know? at this time. It was like the right time. It's like that. But like when people were freaking out about that, what color is that shirt? Oh, yeah. Then but the dress. Like different. Blue dress. But this is actually something better. So okay. I I love that. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, well, okay. Well, now it's time. Let's move on to some Chatty Matty questions. Yay. I'm going to put a bow on this show. All right. Um, so, okay. So Chatty Matty question number one. What is your most memorable childhood smell? Dirt. <laughs> oh, really? Why? Uh, I grew up in the country, which I hated as a kid. And of course, now that I'm a grown ass woman, I I just wish I could live in in the middle of the country. Where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in California and okay. grew up in um, uh, like orchard areas. And I oh beautiful the, the house that I lived in was surrounded by an orchard. And I grew up. I mean, I grew up a total tomboy and. Me and the, the the guys next door used to throw dirt clods at each other, like for fun. Oh my gosh, we used really to do glamorous. That too. Yeah, that is some country shit. Yeah. I did it too. Climbing trees. I mean, I used to read books in trees all the time. You couldn't get my face out of a book. Um, I had a lot of like, I had like three forts that I had built in various trees and under bushes. Oh, <laughs> you know, cool. I just I I loved it so much. And now that I'm older, I. I just wish I could go back and just read in a tree all day, mm. you know, so cliche, mm. but so true. I love so dirt. I don't think you're the first person that saw like, now are you talking about like that dry, dusty yeah. dirt or like kind of that wet? Okay. okay. Yeah. Dry, yeah. dusty dirt. I love that. I love that. I love that. Um, all right. Chatty Maddie number two, what would be the name of your memoir? Oh, uh, the opinionated woman. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I actually, I, like I have that. a few. I've gone through a few. It was for a long time because I'm, I've been working on a Broadway play edition of my life since I was oh, like 20. Good for you. Yeah. Um, you are a theater queen. I, I love am, it. honey. It's going to be, there will be music. Uh, there will be musical scenes. For a long time, it was called Sit Up, sh- uh, Shut Up, Sit Down and Smile, which is something that was try Various adults attempted to instill in me, but never quite took. But now I would uh-huh. say the opinionated woman. 
All right. Yeah. I love that. Well, if they, you could do the opinionated woman, if they do a prequel of your childhood, you could do that. Um, all right. Uh, <laughs> the opinionated child, my mother would child. happily write that chapter. <laughs> All right. Chatting about number three, what's the best piece of advice you wished you had taken a little earlier? Uh, probably to move back to California sooner. I moved to Boston when I was 20 for no real reason. And I built an amazing life there, but I am astounded that I survived for 11 winters because you don't count it by oh, years wow. in New England. You count it by winters. And I survived yeah, 11 yeah. winters. And a few years ago, I moved back to my home state of California and was like, holy shit, the sun. <laughs> <laughs> That's I had a friend who went like lived in Watertown and went to Harvard and she came back and she was like, oh, oh, oh my the God. sun. I miss it. Seriously. Oh, that's a good one. Um, so chatting number, Maddie, number four, what day would be your groundhog day or meaning like what's been like a great day that you would live over and over? Oh, Take your time. Oh, because well, mostly because two come to mind. Can I be? Can I be greedy? Yeah, you can do two. Give you two. two. I like Allie. You can do two. Okay, because one was two years ago at South by Southwest, the day that I gave my life lessons from a professional dominatrix presentation, and I totally nailed it. And then I did a storytelling event that night and had a total blast and then went dancing with a group of friends and was out until like six in the morning dancing. And that was a pretty, that's a good, pretty day. great day because I love to be on stage and I love dancing and I love telling stories. So it was fabulous. Oh, I love that. But my favorite, but, but I'm a Gemini also, which is, which actually now pretty much <laughs> describes because my <laughs> other favorite day was a day in Australia in at this incredible beach where we literally just had like one of those big seafood platters. And I was there with a really close friend of mine and we ate amazing seafood and then lounged on the beach. And it just was like a do nothing gorgeous day. Oh, I love that. That is that. Ooh, that, Duh, that makes me just want to hang out with you because what if we have fun? Oh, right. Like one where because I'm a I'm an introvert that is occasionally extroverted. And so one is definitely the day where I'm out and I'm excited and passionate and sparkly. And then the other day is like quiet with a close like a close loved one and just chilling and relaxing. Oh, I love that. Love that. Love that. So. Uh, well, last question, Chatty Manny number five. When are you most inspired? Um, in my car driving, probably, Ooh, or in the shower. A- I take um, I I'm a big believer in mood lighting, and so I use Christmas lights in my bathroom for showers. I love mood lighting as well. Right? Oh, Maddie, drinks soon, please, please. <laughs> I hate bad lighting. I hate it. Right? And so in the shower, I've taken to, I use like one of those like erasable shower pens because I come up with fabulous ideas in the shower. And then I've also gotten myself a little recorder because when I'm driving in my car, so I love to talk and it, as you probably have noticed, is kind of hard to shut me up. But what I actually have a very hard time talking unless I'm talking to someone 
Mm. But it's talking is the way that I come up with my book content and my blog content. And so I just go for a drive and I just talk into my little microphone. I love that. I love no one's actually people have mentioned the shower, but I think you're the first in 60 some odd shows two years. You're the first person to ever mention in the car. But that's so true. I think of so many. I want to get a recorder now. I can think of so many ideas in the car. Hands down, one of the best investments um, was a little handheld recorder because I because it's got it's a one button recorder. I can just it's not dangerous. I can just reach over. Right. You don't want to mess with your phone. No, like, yeah. No. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I love that. Love that. Love See, that. See, out of the that. box. Oh. Dirt and the car. Dirt. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, tell everybody, um, again, tell everybody where they can find all things uh, Callie Williams. All things Callie Williams is on CallieWilliams.com. You can uh, read about my upcoming book called The Bitch Stigma about being a strong, assertive woman in the world. Love it. And the hackathon I'm launching called Hack the Patriarchy, which is forefronting uh, women and minorities in technology. And I also do one-on-one coaching and I'm currently developing a confidence program that uh, women will be able to sign up to, to enjoy my unique brand of coaching (laughs) and guidance in the world. And that's K-A-L, K-A-L, let me say that again. It's K-A-L-I-W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S.com, right? That's me. Yep. Callie Williams. Um, well, I love what you're doing. I love what you're doing. And I think uh, if you're listening to this and you're either inspired by it or you're triggered by it or you're freaked out, then that means you probably need to investigate this. So because it's speaking to you and I hope people out there listening will do that because I just honestly, like I said, I really think you're at the, especially talking about misogyny and patriarchy and gender, not even in a male female straight gay but just in like i feel like in a culture we're just moving more and more and more especially as somebody who runs a camp for lgbt kids and seeing how these younger generations are shucking even pronouns and things like yeah. that we're really moving into i think uh it's we're going to be in a very in a hundred years i think even that soon we're going to be in a very different place oh, gender yeah. wise i think in the country or in the world um Definitely. but so thank you thank you th- i'm like you're we're you're, we're having you back, sugar. Oh, we are having love to. you Thank back. Thank you so back. much. I love this so much. Um, so yes, everybody, go to CallieWilliams.com uh, to find all things Callie. And as for the usual, for the rest of you, if you like this show, you thought it was good. One of the most awesome things you can do is go on iTunes and write a review for it. It helps iTunes see that I'm, and that I'm actually giving a shit about y'all and trying to make <laughs> something that you enjoy. Um, or on Stitcher, wherever you... I love Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, you can go to DearMaddieShow.com and ask questions. Please ask questions. I'm out. I always get out. And then right before I do another show, people send in questions. So hopefully that works again. <laughs> um, you can find all social media. You can follow me at the Matt Mar. Oh, yeah, Callie. Are, where are you, where is your... Like, are you on Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter? Uh, Twitter and Instagram, yep. Um, Callie Williams on Twitter and Tiara and High Heels on Instagram. But Twitter is definitely my my social media addiction of choice. Okay, perfect. And we'll get you those. Um, all of this information will be in the show notes. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Callie. Thanks so much, Maddie. I really appreciate it. Of course, this is great. And thank you all for listening and leave a review and do something for someone this week. And we'll see you next week. All right. Bye.